to the Renaissance Space podcast, where we have the opportunity to listen and better understand life in education. My name is Margaret Allen, and I am your host. And in this episode, I shall be talking to Geoffrey Boacci, which I know is going to be not only fascinating, but very exciting. If you don't know Geoffrey, then you're going to have a lovely time listening to him and his passion and his energy. And I think, like me, we're going to learn quite a lot from his insight, experience and life as an English teacher. But before I introduce Geoffrey, I'm going to start by talking to Krista. Krista Culbertson is a senior editor within our quiz writing team. And last summer, on a hot, sunny day, she started the quiz writing process for a book called Musical Truth. Welcome, Krista. Hi, Margaret. So what does that mean, you started the quiz writing process? (laughs) Well, um, yeah, last summer, you know, there was this book sitting on on the shelf, a virtual shelf, obviously, because we're, we're still at home and we don't use physical books. And I saw this book called Musical Truth that was, you know, ready for quizzing. And I was immediately like, oh, what's this? <laughs> a nonfiction book about music. That's, you know, unusual. You yes. get a lot of um, biographies about musicians and things like that. But, you know, it was like a, a musical history book. Like that's that's something I read in my personal life, not anything I've ever read for work before. So I was immediately intrigued by this book and I, you know, pushed everyone else out of my way. And I was like, this is my book. I'm (laughs) quizzing it. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And then fast track 10 months on and we have our What Kids Are Reading event and we have a quiz writer's choice uh, opportunity for you as quiz writers to, to make some recommendations. And Musical Truth won. Um, and it was your recommendation. It was it was you who submitted it. So having had the experience nearly a year before, and then obviously you read it again, why did you choose Musical Truth as your submission? Oh, you know, we read so many books every year. And then sometimes you just get a book and you're like, this is this is just a special one. And I think, you know, it was clear right away that Musical Truth and was a special book. And, you know, Jeffrey's writing is so vibrant. You know, writing about music is so difficult because how do you write sounds? Um, but, you know, you can just hear the music on the page And, you know, he has this wonderful ability to weave together history and culture and music just like so seamlessly. And, you know, it was really just like a unique book um, and and just a really great way of learning about Black British history. And, um, you know, I was reading this book and, you know, it's good because I was like immediately to my editor, I was like, oh, you have got to read this. And, and she and I just talked about it for ages afterwards. You know, when you, when you get a really great book and you're like, let's just, oh, let's dissect this. And um, it was just like, I knew right away. I was like, this has to win an award. And it did. And um, 
What Kids Are Reading events. It was such a vibrant and energetic and passionate response that he made, albeit virtually by screen. I thought, I need to speak to this man. He needs to come onto a podcast. We need to capture some of this. And so here is the podcast. Thank you, Krista, for the introduction. I might ask you to comment at the end of the podcast to reflect back maybe some of the things that he's been saying. Okay. Thank you, Krista. So now I'm absolutely delighted to introduce Jeffrey Boacci. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hello. Listen, thank you for having me, first of all. It's so good to be here. Well, father, writer, educator, where should we start? Yeah, I don't know. Um, father takes up a lot of, a lot of the jar is filled with being a father. I can't, I can't oh, sure. about that. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one. Um, so maybe that's a good place to start. But educator is, is the golden thread you know, that goes through Absolutely. all of my work, obviously 15 years teaching and then everything since that has been kind of education adjacent, including much of the writing. So your pick, which one of those three do you want to dive into first, Margaret? Well, <laughs> I think probably the writer, because it was due to your writing that I got to know and hear about you. And it's it was at our What Kids Are Reading event, um, the end of April. Mm -hmm. um, and you were awarded the best nonfiction book um, for secondary. Um, we have a writer's choice and, and they picked you. Huge. How fantastic. Yeah, massive, massive. Especially like, you know, when the award comes from, from the quiz writers themselves, these people are wading through books day in, day out. I thought, no, this is, this is very special. Because there's something about this book that has resonated with the people that have to read loads of books to work out which ones are going to be turned into quizzes. So I was I was just um, so grateful to to be kind of seen and recognised, and for this project, Musical Truth, to be seen and recognised in that in that way. It felt very special. Yeah. So 28 songs. Um, yeah. Obviously, not just about music, um, about history of music and a journey. Would you like to, those people that don't know about this book, maybe we should enlighten them. Jeff yeah, Musical Truth. It's, um, it's got a very long subtitle. It's a musical journey through modern black history in 28 songs. 28 is not a mythical kind of um, particularly special number. It's just where we stopped. Because what it is, it's, it's a playlist of songs that tell the story or the stories of modern black Britain kind of spanning um, sort of post-war up until, you know, the present day. And through these songs, you get social history, you get the biographies of different artists, you get the lived experiences of different black communities all told through this musical journey. So that in itself is wow. a big part of my own biography, because music is the soundtrack for my own life. But then you get into these kind of broader narratives told through song, through lyrics, through verse, and obviously through the lives that have been lived by these artists. And obviously, no, no surprise to, to learn why you would do that when you're trying to engage secondary age children. Um, we need yeah. hooks, don't we? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surprised there aren't more playlist books out there. I kind of keep on writing them because I kind of want to see more of them myself. I love a playlist and I love the way that a song can be so evocative of a time and a place. But you put it into context and then suddenly that song 
is kind of broadening the perspective on a particular historical moment. So to me, it's it's such a great way of hooking into historical narratives, political conversations, um, things that you might find otherwise quite difficult to get into, like academia. It's popular music is is a great kind of it's almost like a cheat. It's like a cheat code to get into yes. history. Yeah, so yes. that's what musical truth was always trying to achieve. That's quite interesting. My my background is in primary and, and you're talking about a cheat to get in. That's actually what you do when you read nursery rhymes to children. It's sort of cheating them into understanding about reading. They're telling a story. Jack and Jill went up the hill. They'd that's never it. tell a story at age two, but they might be wording out those those yeah, sounds and, and yeah. that understanding. So that's a lovely okay. connection yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful that no matter how old you are, there's a window in the playlist that speaks to your biography, to your vintage. So I had like my my father-in-law, um, he was saying that his mother was listening to some of the Winifred Atwell songs from like mm-hmm. that were that were being pop that were popularized in the 1950s. So that's crossing two, three generations. And yeah, then meanwhile, yeah. I've got nieces and nephews who can recognize the stuff from 2020, 2021. So it's just a great intergenerational conversation too, yeah. And I think with social media and technology, these experiences and these opportunities are obviously much wider to compared with years ago when it was through word of mouth. And there must be, there's obviously advantages for both and disadvantages for both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything's more interactive nowadays because the minute you read something, you can kind of engage with it online. You can find a playlist you can find the podcast you can you can go on youtube so i'm leaning into that when i write a book like musical truth and i've got musical world coming out as well which is nice. a playlist because you can essentially engage with it in different media you know you can listen to it you can read about it you can google it you know so yeah multimedia so, <laughs> multimedia exactly exactly so um, on Twitter, when, when you received this award, you said a massive for musical truths. And any English teacher will tell you how important AR has become in UK schools. And I, I just wondered, I'm really interested to know how AR has featured in your life, just briefly, because, you know, your experiences, how the students felt, how they feel. Yeah, yeah no, it's huge. I mean, first of all, anyone that's taught in the past... I don't know, 15, 20 years, however long the Renaissance has been up and running, we'll know that Accelerator Reader has become part of the culture of reading in schools up and down the country and across the world, I'm certain. But in schools I've been in, it's been used as a way of basically um, ensuring, it's like an accountability measure of making sure the kids are reading. But very quickly, it goes beyond that. It becomes a cultural thing whereby kids are reading as part of their experience of school and Accelerator Reader is one of the kind of um, areas of focus for that reading. So it's where the books are chosen, the quizzes become something which is about personal achievement or collective achievement. So it becomes like, as I've said, it becomes part of the fabric of the school experience. I'm not exaggerating. Like some schools, you get in trouble if you haven't got your AR book with you, you know. (laughs) They have like <laughs> slots in the curriculum for AR where you go and you change books and you do quizzes. Like this is, nice. I, am, I am not overrating it. So as a teacher that I never had that when I was at school and reading was one of those things that essentially kids could opt in and opt out of. As a teacher of English, 
I've seen how this thing has become embedded into the school experience, but it's really positive because the people at AR obviously care about books. It's not just read anything. It's not just read the same book. It's read a range of books. It's, you know, test out the ZPD, push into more difficult books. It's go wider. It's challenge yourself. So you get into a really healthy culture. It's great. It's great. That's fantastic. I mean, what a what a lovely, lovely thing. What lovely things to say, especially yeah. as, as it was a mum who actually started it off. She wanted her son to read and he wasn't. So she wrote some quizzes. So, you know, you that, that all does a nice circle. Kind of slightly kind of like slightly anxious, but also deeply well-meaning. Like we want you to read, yeah. why aren't you yes. reading? But at the same exactly. time, let's make a cozy place for you to explore literature. You can feel that in AR. You know, nice. carrot and stick nice. at the same time. You know what I mean? <laughs> so teacher training, mm. um, you know, we, we, we've, we've touched on the writing and we, we've touched on being a dad. Why? When? Yeah, listen, I I started training to teach in 2007. I did a PGC at King's, uh, King's College. I... I always knew I would end up working with young people at some point because I've done a lot of that when I was when when I was a teenager myself. I did like youth groups. I'm kind of that kind of caffeinated without drinking coffee type person. <laughs> I got a lot of energy and I'm and I'm, and I'm energized by p- people. So a lot of the work I did after uni was small J journalism, copy editing, stuff like that. But there wasn't enough human interaction, so I knew that working with young people and working in a school specifically would give me all of that interaction that I wanted and boy did it like you know teaching is like an over overwhelming level of human interaction but I I I always lean that way because because I wanted to do something that would use all of me and I think that's what what I love about teaching as a craft that's what I grew to love about it but also at the same time you know I'm a student of literature so I was only ever going to be an English teacher because I love literature, I love reading, I love writing. So teaching was like the perfect Venn diagram of those circles, you know, the love of people, being energised by other people, exploring literature and culture um, and using all of my skills to the best of my ability. So that's kind of why I got into teaching and I stuck it out for 15 years. Well, to have somebody with your passion, your knowledge, your engagement, your enthusiasm um, is obviously a big plus. But I mean, English teachers dominated by white women. Yes. Um, and I think I read somewhere that you being asked whether you are really not just a teacher, but an yes. English teacher by students. I mean, let's let's touch on the on the elephant in the room, if we like, you know. Yeah. A black young guy teaching English. Yeah. Does that work? How does it work? (laughs) As as far as I know, where there might be, you know, between five and ten black male English teachers in the country. I think I've met all of them. There may be more. Don't quote me on that. These are ones I've met, but I can't see many more out there. Um, so I'm a I'm quite a rare object in the in 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 the teaching landscape. Um I'm I'm fascinated by that question, which I've been asked, like, are you really a teacher? Are you really an English teacher? Because there's an element of of wonder and awe because, you know, kids are seeing something that they're not used to seeing in a particular context. And in a way, there's a kind of 
desperation for something else because all teachers are idiosyncratic. All teachers have got, you know, their personal quirks and everything else. But you can fall into an archetype in the eyes of young people because you're kind of part of the system. So when they see me and I turn up as a black male English teacher, they're really trying to work out what is what is this situation? What are you and what's going on? And part of that is they want something that feels relevant. They want something that's going to be different. So there's a bit of a there's an excitement which I've felt just by existing. And that's before they get to know me. You know, I feel like they're hoping that I'm going to represent something else. Um, which in some ways is quite tragic for education because all teachers represent something else. Like, you know, yeah, we are yeah. not a monolith and we are not the system. We're individuals with names and lived experiences and all sorts of perspectives which come into the classroom with us. So I'm just, um, you know, I'm, I actually welcome that from, from young people because it, it's a chance to connect and to build a relationship. Completely. It is having that opportunity. Every lesson is about connection and how do you stimulate that? How do you act as the catalyst? Um, Mar Marcus Ryder said, um, I read on, on Twitter, he said, white people asking black people how to end racism can sometimes feel like a concert pianist asking the audience how to play a different tune on the piano. There you go. Marcus Metaphor Rider. Hitting Absolutely. Us the language. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can see exactly where it's coming from. It's because it's like, you know, it's been asked, like, specifically what to do with something like racism is to deny the fact that you have the resources and the wherewithal to tackle it. Right. Yeah. So it's a question of power, really. As a black teacher in a predominantly white system, there's a whole context that I'm stepping into where my racial identity has been disempowered. You know, I'm not seen in the curriculum, um, the experiences, lived experiences of, of people of my heritage haven't been acknowledged in the curriculum. Um, the truths of what have happened in terms of colonialism, white supremacy have never been talked about. So you're in this position whereby you are sort of not fully seen and yet you are the recipient of some of these problems, right? But just because I'm feeling it, it's not my responsibility to solve it. And I always think about the other ways that I am censored, like I've got male privilege. That actually means that I need to think harder about sexism. That's why I co-wrote a book about masculinity, because my male privilege is something which is so huge that I'm not invited to challenge it or to see it. Say with my able-bodied privilege, you know, I'm heterosexual so I've got that privilege too it's actually my responsibility to interrogate these things that make me dominant so when Marcus is talking about um white people people racialized as white and their relationship with tackling racism it's a, a case of sometimes you have to think about what makes you dominant in society ideologically and it's your job to think about how that plays out before you ask anyone else to challenge it and that in itself is a journey of exploration. Um, it's a journey of insight, because if there's one thing about challenging dominant ideologies is that you gain lots of insight from it. That's why I, book, I write the books I write, because I'm trying to share insights and to empower people to be bigger than these dominant things. That was a big answer to a short question. What do you think about that? Amazing answer and actually touches on all of the elements, which is obviously um forms the 
the bulk and, and the hub of I heard what you said. Mm. Um, that book, uh, which has had the most amazing um, announcement this weekend, optioned for production into a series by Stigma Films. Here we um, go. Let's just mention that before yeah, we keep why going. Not? Drop that in there. Just <laughs> pop that in there. you said is I'm nowhere near the point of doing the whole like fireside chat memoir story but it's essentially a bit of a memoir 15 years spent teaching and you know that 15 years teaching one I've said it before I'll say it again one teaching year is like seven human years it's a long time it's a long time and in that time I've you know I kind of had lots of points of reflection and that's what the book is it's me reflecting on my experiences as a black educator in a majority white system um, often is the only black English teacher in the school, sometimes the only black teacher in the whole school, um, which is actually quite remarkable when you think about it. So yeah. for this book to um, to have now been optioned for television, it means that essentially the story, the narrative of that book is going to be is going to be illuminated. My story, because it's a journey. I've learned a lot. I did not start my career in 2007 talking in depth about race. I did not challenge the curriculum. I was a very naive educator. I just did what I was told. And I went on a journey personally to bring elements of my lived experience into the classroom to understand how the thing that marginalizes me, the thing that I was scared to talk about is actually a vantage point that actually gave me agency. That's a journey. It took me years. So hopefully this, um, this, dramatization is going to not only open the conversation wider in terms of race and race politics and identity but also illuminate that journey that Jeffrey Boachi look at me talking myself in a third person it's already started terrible has gone on you know yes but I mean what a wonderful synopsis of, of the book but also from I've, I've only just started reading it um, I, I listened to something about it as well, and some of the the ways in which you not only prompt but really poke a stick into the bee's nest of um, racism. And I love the example um, about not being recognised by a, a a camera when you first go into a school, face not recognised. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my goodness, what yeah. a statement! Yeah, definitely. I mean. If you want to talk metaphors, there you have it. The idea that yes. a school recognition system won't recognize my face um, because it's a black face. And I only write about that on one occasion, but that's happened to me three separate times, wow. you know, where this it's, it's just not seeing me. So that's a metaphor for, well, am I seen by the wider institution of education in this country? Am I seen by the sector? You know, so that's the provocation point. Completely. And, you know, the fact that people were prepared to support you and advise you about, you know, stand closer, move backwards. It's all about support. The network of teaching mm. is not just um, individuals. It's it's an army and everybody has challenges in that army. The children are challenged. The parents are challenged. Life is challenging. And, and the role that we have as teachers is not just about filling up a pail um oh. you know it, it's so much more than that and and having people like yourself yourself in that um Matt Tobin I'm a great fan of Matt um and he wrote 
I realise we are fortunate to have your words and thoughts in the reading community. I love your openness, but also your sharp clarity that is needed when people try and blether and quibble about the debate. Wow. Matt, and you know what? I didn't even tell him to write that. Can you imagine? He wrote that independently. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yes, he is an independent person. So, yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> no, and I just think huge. that sums it up. I mean, wow. Someone who's as well-read as he is and his position and his teaching tra teacher training, you know, all of that stuff that he does. Yeah. What an accolade, really. Huge, huge. And, um, yeah, I, I thank him for his time and energy in connecting with my with my work which he has done so on social media quite extensively but yeah that's the whole point it's about connecting it's about offering insights it's about realizing when your insights are valuable and shaping them for other people to get something valuable from that's my whole mission you know and having Fantastic. some joy while I'm at it yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and that's that's got to be a, a lot of it most of it teaching has to have joy and fun and success it has challenges but then when those successes come through it all balances out in the end otherwise we wouldn't do it absolutely absolutely well jeffrey what a what an amazing conversation um i'm i'm so honored to have shared this with you um and you know so grateful that you know the quiz writers they chose you and they chose your book and this has given renaissance the opportunity to share your experience but also it's such an amazing timing i mean gosh we couldn't have planned it better could we you really couldn't you really couldn't i mean i'm i'm just applying consistent pressure in the industry i'm i'm always working on things that i think are important and hopefully vital so to to be kind of um acknowledged um by the quiz writers is is yeah it is really really special you know Quote that a bit because I really mean it, you know. So, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. This is it's been a great chat. Well, thank you again. Um, it wouldn't be right to not mention a couple of people. So Sarah Such. Yes, my agent. Brilliant. Along the way. The guiding light. Yep. Um, your wife, Sophie. I should have put her first, really. Sorry, Sophie. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, Sophie. Uh, she's the mastermind. So Sophie runs the show. Um, business partner, manager, partner in all in all things. So yeah, huge shout out to Sophie as well. And as far as your children's books go, of course, Faber um, play a big part in your life. I, I'm, there are other publishers I know, but yeah, my children's publishing at, at the moment is is entirely housed at Faber, which is such a brilliant publishing house. Like they're independent. People forget that, you know, um, because they're so agile and they have a presence, but they really care about what they publish. And for young audiences, there's nothing more important, like really laboring over what gets put into those hands and for what reason. And I think Faber instinctively get that. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm so thrilled with how I've been published and we've got a few more things in the pipeline coming out with right. Faber for kids. Yeah. So watch this space. So as if we needed any more timing adjuncts or, or opportunities, the Book Trust today, Book of the Day, Kofi and the Rat Battle Summer. I mean, wow. Yeah. Two, three, four, five things all coming together. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So happy with that. My first fiction too, you know, it's uh, it's essentially going to be a series. I've written the second one too, which 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 came out so well. 
I can't wait for people to read that, but you got to read the first one first. But Kofi and the Rap Battle right. Summer is um, is is glorious, and it's a love letter to the 1990s. You know, to to a black family growing up in an urban setting, and to literature and music and culture as well. It's a love letter to that too. Um, and you'll love Kofi. I'm just plugging away here, but I can't wait for you. To- <laughs> That's fine. You you do all the plugging you'd like. So here's the here's the opportunity to do that. So um, th- thanks again. Um, I hope we can speak again, maybe in a year's time, when we can look back on on this day and this this time of of your life to see what else has happened. And by then, perhaps this option series. I'm not sure I even understand that phrase, but I'm sure <laughs> others do. Um, will will be be a reality. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Margaret. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, he didn't disappoint, did he? What an amazing man. What passion, what energy. Just fantastic. That was really great. He clearly is just so in love with everything that he does. And it comes through, doesn't it? Um, Fantastic. Well done, Krista, for being on the scene a year ago, noting this book and seeing that it had this potential. And there's so many opportunities, I know, as we've just heard. Jeffrey talk about he's on it and um, Krista I think you should take some credit for being part of that journey however small well I'm just so I'm I'm just so glad that he's written a book that is just so wonderful and just really makes history accessible to younger people Um, you know because that can be a bit abstract sometimes when you're that age you're like why old music old people (laughs) why should I care (laughs) brilliant yeah but um you know like just so fortunate to have these wonderful people writing fantastic books. Well, thank you for all you do to make them accessible for children as well. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please go and listen to others that have been recorded at www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can, of course, listen to these on any platform that you choose. And I look forward to speaking with somebody very soon. And I hope you'll be there too. Thank you, Krista. Thank you, Jeffrey. And thank you for listening.